Reality Church is a church striving to be biblical. We pray that this sermon would help you in your personal walk. Be blessed. Amen. So we're going to continue in 1 John doing something a little different that I've never done before. I'm actually going to start with the last verse of chapter 1 and then skip on into chapter 2. So we're crossing over chapters here, so don't get confused. We're going to do it. So um, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, There must be a divorce between you and sin, or there can be no marriage between you and Christ. Sin is an issue in man. We need to understand that. John has talked in the previous verses about our deceiving ourselves when it comes to sin. And now he's going to confront what God says about it. Not only that, he's going into the cost paid and what we need to do in light of that cost that was paid for us. I pray this set of scriptures moves you as much as it does me. For there's so much goodness and mercy in this set of verses that it is unbelievable. 1 John 1.10-2.13 Now hear the infallible, inspired word of God. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word that we have it, that we can hold it in our hands, that it is infallible, inspired, and God-breathed as you inspired the writers to pen these words for us. It echoes through time. It's not dated, for it is always relevant to your people. We thank you for that. God, we ask that you would remove the veil so that we may see clearly what you're trying to say through this author, and through this word. We thank you so much that we can understand what you've written in this word. For you have made it in such a way that we can search it out. And you've given us tools to help us. God, I ask that you would let this word be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. So that we can see the way that we should go after we leave knowing what we've read here. In Christ's name, amen. So, John speaks here in the beginning about a very important aspect of sin. Um, That aspect is this. What does God say about sin in us? What does God say about it? We've, We've learned last week about what we try to say when we try to say, uh, we don't have any sin. What are we doing? We're lying to ourselves. 
But here he's talking about what does God say about it? Verse 10, let me read it again for you. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John is saying in this verse that God has some very important things to say about sin in his word and its relationship with humanity. You see, we are born in sin. We are born with sin nature. And we begin sinning as soon as we can start talking, pretty much. Maybe before that when we start being angry. Uh, I don't go as far as some. Uh, one, one preacher said one time that uh, God makes babies so little so that they can't kill us. And that God makes babies so cute so that we don't kill them. I don't go quite that far. I love my baby and I love my little girl and those thoughts have never entered my mind. But it's making a point about sinfulness. Man is born in sin and iniquity. Uh, how do I know this? Well, Psalm 14, verses 2 through 4 are pretty clear about it. Psalm 14, verses 2 through 4 says this. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? And then Paul himself, we know, repeats this in Romans. Been well over a year since I preached it, but he, Paul is very clear as well. There is none righteous. There is none good. If we're not righteous and we're not good, what does that make us? Sinners. We're born in sin. Sinners from the beginning. No one is righteous. To deny this fact is to say that God has lied. What we need to understand about the Word of God what we need to understand clearly about the Word of God is this. This is what God has said. It is God-breathed. He inspired every word in this book. We can't throw any of it out. He's inspired all of it. He has clearly said throughout His Word that man is born in sin. He has a sin nature. He is always bent towards doing the wrong thing. And we're saying His Word contains things that are not true if we say that we have not sinned. If we cannot trust one part of the Word of God, we cannot trust any part of the Word of God. Because it is a whole. It is what He has said. Now, I know what you're, I know what you're thinking. Well, I've never said I haven't sinned. Well, how many people do you encounter and you talk about sin and what you hear is this? Well, look, I'm a good person. I always try my best to do the best, right? 
putting the focus and saying, I have not sinned. We need to all understand our sinfulness and, and that we have sinned and that I sin daily and that I need to repent daily. You see, because sin is the problem in man. That is what is wrong with people. When you look out in this world and you think, what is wrong with these people? You know what's wrong with these people? Sin. That's what's wrong. That's the problem. John knows this. In fact, he's about to begin facing this problem head on. And he confronts it in a way that I think is very clear. He's about to show that sin is the very reason he wrote this letter. Let's read verse 1 of chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. First, let's look at how he begins. My little children. Now, this may seem in our modern language, and this is a problem that we have, I think, sometimes when we read the Word of God, that we read it in our modern language. He's saying, my little children, and that to, that to some readers may come across as he's being kind of like condescending in a way and trying to belittle you as children, right? This is a term of great affection in that day. He is being very affectionate towards his, ta his target audience. He is, he is showing how much he cares by saying, my little children. He, he, he's trying to say, I, I, I think of you as my kids. I love you like a father loves his kids. He has great affection for his target audience. They are people that he personally cares for. He loves them. But not only does he care for them, but the word children, when he says children, it implies that he feels a responsibility for those people. Now he begins to tell these people that he loves and cares for why he has written to them. He says this, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. John loves them. Therefore, he doesn't want them sinning. So to be truthful about the negative effect of sin in these people is something John equates with his love for them. And I think it's interesting if we look at the word sin here. You know, when we, we think about sin, we think about Jesus died for my sin. Jesus died on the cross for sin, right? To save us from sin. We think of the overarching idea of sin, right? And sinfulness in man. That's not what this sin is. This sin is actually speaking of sin. Sins, individual 
sins. Not, a, not even a continuing in a sinful path. He's talking about one sin. I'm writing this to you that you may not sin at all one time. Which is kind of, kind of different when you compare it to how, how, some, how, how some of the other writers have written about sin. He's saying, I don't even want you to do it once. Not even a single time I don't want you to sin. And he writes all the things that he does in this letter in order to show them specific sin and to help them avoid sinning in those particular ways. And he goes into it quite a bit later on in, the, in, this, in this book and in this chapter, especially pointing out the error of following a false teaching. I think it's interesting that John is showing affection by confronting and challenging in the area of particular sins. He desires for them to live a life free from particular sins. In our world today, if we do confront particular sins in any way, what are we? You're judging me. You're condemning me. Well, John does it because he loves them and he cares about their spiritual well-being in their life. So, does he imply here that sinlessness is attainable? We talked about sinless perfectionism and sinless rejectionism. Is he implying that sinlessness is even attainable? We know the answer to that question clearly, right? The answer to that question is an emphatic, nope, we can't. And he makes that absolutely clear in his next statement. Because he said, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And then he says something very interesting. He says, but... If anyone does sin, John knows that his readers will sin. We will sin. How does John know? You ready for a big old explosion of thoughts here? John knows that we will sin because John knows that he will sin. I think sometimes we look at the authors of these books and we think how awesome they are. But they had to fight sin daily just like we did. Did they have a great advantage by seeing Christ in the face to face? Yeah, it was wonderful. But they also had the advantage of having the Holy Spirit within them sanctifying them daily. They had to fight sin just as we do. So John knew that his, his readers were going to sin and going to fail because he did. You see, we must make every effort to avoid sinning, but we cannot do it perfectly on this earth. We strive for it, but we'll never do it perfectly. And that is really what it means to live a life of holiness. I love to hear uh, Brother Kendall pray. Because one of the things that he is very emphatic in his prayers about is this. God, 
Help us to live a life that is pleasing to you, that we may serve you, that we may live a life of holiness. That is something that should be, we should be emphatic in our prayers about too. So I take note of that when he prays because he always says, God, help us to be just more like you and to serve you better. We live a life seeking after holiness. That is a life lived by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Because that's what he does. He is sanctifying us. He is conforming us to the image of the Son. In this life, we also have help in pursuing holiness. We have one who helps us, according to the scripture. It says, but if anyone does sin, what does it say next? It says, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate with the Father. The word advocate, I think, is a great word. Um, We, when we think of advocate, we probably think of it in the legal sense, right? You know, like a lawyer. We need an advocate to come and plead our case. Well, that isn't what this means. So I hope to maybe help us understand it more clearly. It's so, it's so amazing. You know, we, think, we do think of the courtroom situation, right? Whenever you think of when I stand before God and, and I'm judged, we, we try to think of, you know, that, that Christ is going to come in and he's going to plead our case and we're going to be found not guilty. But that isn't even what happens. Who sits on the throne of judgment? Christ himself. He doesn't need to plead our case to himself. Why? Because he is our advocate and he already knows. He has been our mediator between us and God the entire time. This advocate, this word advocate means one called in for support. It implies help. A helper. It's so interesting when Jesus is talking to his disciples. How does he describe the Holy Spirit? Because we know that the Holy Spirit is our helper, right? We know that. Does he say, I'm going to send a helper? No. He says, I'm going to send you another helper. Implying... That he's the first one. I could get into all the Greek stuff, but I'm not going to. Just just go with me here. Christ is the helper. How does Christ help us in this life when we sin? How does he help us? Look at what he's called next. It says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. How is he described? Jesus Christ. Period? No. Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's important that he is given the title used here. He is the righteous one. Why is it important? The reason that he is able to help us in our sin is because he is righteous. 
He knew no sin. He took our sin upon Himself. He became sin. He became a curse for us. Just like usual, this morning's Sunday school prepares us for what we're hearing here, right? Christ is the one who fulfilled the law perfectly. He was righteous. And he took our sin upon himself. Now, because he did that, if we are in Christ, he gives us his righteousness. So when we sin, we repent, and Jesus Christ, the righteous, comes to our aid to help us through his sacrifice because he shows forth his righteousness on our behalf. When I stand before God and I say, God, forgive me for this. I desire to seek after holiness. I do not want to continue in this sin. Please forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Then I am surrounded by the righteousness of Christ that says, yes, he is in me. He is righteous, not because he can do it, but because I have already done it. And now I have clothed him. In my righteousness. The way that I would have preached this. Four or five years ago. Would have been giving you a license to sin. And I repent for that. The way I preach it now is. Guess what? Yep. You're a sinner. And you are in desperate need of a Savior. And if you are in Christ, when you sin, because you will, and you are guilty of it, when you sin, you repent, you trust in Christ. Why can you trust in Christ? Because He has clothed you in a righteousness that is not yours. It's His. What, is that, what does that make me want to do? To live a life where I pray like Brother Kendall and I say, God, conform me to your image. Make me more like you. Help me to serve you better. For God, your mercies have been astounding. We need this because we have no righteousness of our own. And in those moments, guess what? Guess what the, the, the result is of this? We are forgiven. This verse is a lesson in the life of a Christian. It's a master class in how to live a life as a Christian. We try to avoid sin. We try to kill it at every turn. And then we will sin. But when we do, we repent and we turn to Christ as our only hope. And we are refreshed, renewed, and restored because Christ's righteousness is given to us because of His great gift. Verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
Let's take the first part. My favorite part. He is the propitiation for our sins. This is a deeply important theological point that we need to grasp a hold of. That he is the propitiation for our sins. And guess what? Many hate this. Many people hate the idea that Christ is the propitiation for our sins. They say that Christ's substitutionary atonement for us is cosmic child abuse. And therefore, they say that substitutionary atonement is false. They apparently miss this verse in their Bible reading plans. Or they have a Bible version maybe that cuts this part out. I don't know. It all centers on hatred of one word, propitiation. Many don't like what this word means. Only John uses this word in the entire Bible. The Greek equivalent of this word is only used twice in the entire Bible, both by John in his first letter, right here and then 1 John 4.10. That's where this word's used. But I don't think we need to be hesitant to approach exactly what this word means. It is, in this context, a sin offering by which the wrath of an angry God is appeased. That sounds scary to some. Some don't like that. Some don't think that's right. Some don't think that's how God is because He's a Father. Absolutely, He's a Father. But guess what? He's not your Father until you're in Christ. Now, here's the thing. Some equate this to the idea of pagan sacrifices to an angry God. I don't know how many of you guys have watched like Joe and the Volcano. It's an old 80s movie. Go look it up. But basically, Tom Hanks goes over to an island nation and he kind of gets treated really well. And then he finds out that he's going to be sacrificed to the Volcano God. Some equate propitiation to that, to a pagan sacrifice to an angry God. But here's the main difference, and it is a huge, vast gulf of difference. The pagan, little g God, never sacrifices itself. Ever. Not once. Christ, God the Son, Himself, is the propitiation. God the Son is the propitiation. He is fully God. Christ as our propitiation is God dying to expiate or wash away and fully pay for our sin. That's what it means. For Christ to be our propitiation. And the wrath of God, as we sang this morning, was fully satisfied in Christ for our, our sins. It, it was fully, fully poured out on Christ. He took the punishment and the wrath 
And now he gives us his righteousness. Penal substitutionary atonement is an absolutely essential piece of our theology and doctrine. We believe that Christ, God the Son, died to save us from our sins by taking all of our sin upon himself, enduring the full wrath of God on the cross, dying bodily as the spotless lamb to save us. It is, this idea of penal substitutionary atonement, it is the explanation of what our atonement means. It absolutely is. Christ is the sacrifice for sin. A different sacrifice than the sacrifice to the pagan God to appease them for whatever amount of time. Christ is God dying for sin to appease the wrath for those who are in Christ for all time. All in God's perfect plan. Never a plan B. Always plan A. He laid down his life willingly and he took it back up again powerfully. It's essential that we see Christ in this way to understand him as our mediator. As the one who stands between God and man. Because he was the God-man and he died to save us. There's something important about this atonement that we see here next explained, though. It's really important. It says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The universalist, the ones who believe in universal salvation, everybody gets in, love wins, right? Those who believe that believe that this advocates for universal salvation. That everybody's saved, everybody gets in. That's not true. John's very clear on that in, in other places if you read in Scripture. He's the one who penned in John 14, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. So we know he doesn't believe that everybody's universally saved. But this statement is very important. There's some things we need to understand about it. The first thing of the two points that are need, that need to be made here by John. The first thing is that he is speaking as a Jew. Before Christ, all hope for salvation was only offered to one group of people. It was only offered to the Hebrews, to the Jews. That's who it was offered to, nobody else. But Christ came. And he died. And now, Christ offers the atonement to all nations. Everyone, both Jews and Gentiles, now have access to the salvation available through Christ. This is a momentous statement by John. If John had said this in Jerusalem, in the temple, if he'd made this statement, there would have been stones flung immediately, most likely. Because he's saying, even the Samaritan, 
has access. Even the Ethiopian has access. Even the Asian Indian has access. Even the Romans have access. He would have been hated for that statement. And I think it's a statement to us about when we look at people who maybe aren't like us and don't have the same ethnicity as us, maybe we should see them, as John said. The gospel is for all people, and it can save any person. Secondly, I think that he is speaking of the extent of Christ's atonement. Hear me clearly. Though not all are saved, Christ's atonement is sufficient for all sin. Though not all are going to, come, are, are, are going to repent and trust in Christ for the salvation of their souls, His sacrifice was sufficient as if it was the truth. And we know that in Christ, all that the Father draw to Him will come to Him. But it's about the power of what was accomplished on the cross. The enormity of it. It was a moment that split time. Now we see things, even historically, before the cross of Christ and after. Before the cross of Christ is the Jewish law age and after the cross of Christ is the, the church age. Christianity was born. That's the power of the cross. So far, we've seen a, a few important things in this text. A, we've seen that we are all sinners according to the word of God. Basically, God Himself has said it in His Word. B, that seeking after holiness is essential as a part of our walk with Christ. It's something that we should do if we are in Christ. C, that we will sin even when we are doing our best not to sin. We will sin. And that when we do, we can repent and trust in Christ truly as our hope and feel 100% confident that we are in Him. And we also see that Christ Himself is the propitiation and has fully atoned. And you know, John, after these statements, after the first chapter in these statements, he could have put a period. He could have put, Sign John of Jesus, sent the letter and it had been uh, so complete and so powerful and so majestic and awesome. But John was not done. He continues into the next point. Why does he continue into what he's fixing to get into? Because we must see all that he has said before in light of what he is about to begin to say. God never says anything to his people without reason and without background, and without full knowledge. Verse 3. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him, 
if we keep his commandments. It's all pointing to a life of obedience to God and his word. And that is why it was necessary to take this journey from the beginning of this great epistle. He took us on this journey to get us here. Because now it's time to start telling us some things that we need to apply in our lives and understand in order to live the kind of life that God would have us to live. It points us to obedience. And that is why it's necessary to take this journey. John is about to dive a lot deeper into this. We're only going to start at the beginning because he, because he has told us of great help and hope we have. He has gotten us to the to the really the penultimate point of Christianity that Christ is the propitiation for our sins. That is the height. That is the enormity of Christianity. No matter who would tell you all these obscure ideas and thoughts that God has told them is it, is is going deeper than just that cross of Christ. No, the ultimate point of Christianity is that we were sinners And Christ died for sinners. He is the propitiation. And now if we are in him, we are saved from this awful, awful fate. That's the ultimate point. And John's fixing to take us on a deep dive into it. And he has told us of the great help that we have. But now he says these words. Keep his commandments. It says that that's how... We know if, if we're in him, if we keep his commandments. I think John is really helping me out here. Because he is leaving me to bring to you an awesome point of application. He has started with the great news of the gospel. And now, keep his commandments. How can we do that? First of all, on how we can keep his commandments, first thing, first step, probably the foundational level is this. Know the word of God. Know it. If we don't know what he commands, we definitely can't follow what he commands. That's why when Paul was writing to Timothy, teaching him how to be a pastor, in 2 Timothy 2.15 he said, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I love how the ESV puts that. Puts it much better than the KJV. KJV says, rightly dividing the word of truth. And many have said that we should, that what he's saying there is we should divide from the Old Testament and chunk the Old Testament and just keep the new. No, it says rightly handling the word of truth. Where is the word of truth contained? Right here, from the beginning pages to the last one. That is where the truth, the word of truth is contained. So, we need to do our best to present ourselves approved as somebody who doesn't need to be ashamed, somebody who rightly handles the word of truth. What does that mean? 
know your word. Or as a group, a guy that I follow on Facebook says, he'll write these long posts and you think it's awesome, but at the end, the whole point was to say, if you had time to read all that, then you had time to read your Bible. Go read your Bible. Read your Bible. That's what it's about. Number two, rely on the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not have the job that we have seen him uh, shown to have as he is the 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 uh, spiritual force that gives you goosebumps and makes things happen no the holy spirit has some specific jobs one sanctification of the believer two conviction of sin three leading you to the word that is the work of the holy spirit We need to rely on the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives if we are to be able to keep His commandments. Number three, pursue holiness. How do we pursue holiness? It's difficult. I like how the Bible kind of says, whatsoever is good, whatsoever is holy, whatsoever is edifying. Think on those things. Get away from the cultural fights. Get away from the the things that distract you from your citizenship in heaven and the fact that you are in Christ. Get away from that stuff. Pursue holiness. Try to live a life in front of your kids, in front of your parents' kids. Try to live a life that is pleasing to God in front of them. Live those kind of, do those kind of things. Get rid of the junk that is, is holding you back. Get rid of that stuff. Seek after God and what He has to say. And number four, understand this. This is probably the most important point. Understand this. Though we are imperfect and we will never do it right, Christ is our help. In keeping His commandments, guess what? You ready for this? Tomorrow, probably today before the day's out, you're probably going to break one. Does that mean you're not keeping His commandments? No, that means you're a sinner who has sinned and needs to repent and lean even more powerfully on Christ to be your help in those situations. We, as Christians, are called truly to endure. Push forward. Endure. Don't give up. Like, uh, like Winston Churchill said, never give up. Never surrender. Never, 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 never. That's the life we live as a Christian. Patiently, walking, fighting, struggling at times, hurting at times, times where we feel like we're flying, but endure and don't give up. So I'll leave you with that. And now I want to pray for you. Father,
We give you honor and praise this morning, thanking you for all that you are to us. Thanking you that what you have said is available to us easily. We can open it up in a book. We can pull it up on a device. But all of it is available to us and we can see what you have said. And God, you have made it in such a way that we can understand it. And God, yes, some particular verses and some particular things may seem difficult to understand. But God, in those times, we can rely on the words that are easier to understand. And we can trust you. We thank you, Father. Help us to seek after you. Help us to keep your commandments. Help us to avoid sin and not sin. We give you honor and praise and we thank you. And God, right now, I pray for those who are not in Christ, that they would be cut to the heart by what they've heard. They would be convicted. That they would not be able to take another step without saying that they are in need of repentance and turning their trust towards Christ. We thank you, Father, that we have that. And God, we ask that we would be faithful ministers of the gospel that others may come to know you. Sinner, run to Christ. He is your only hope. Trust in him for the salvation of your soul. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.